the fact that you're having trouble saving right now is better because then once you increase your earning capacity, you already have the habit of saving some of it. That'll enhance your ability to grow in the future. So it's not where you start, it's where you finish. Hey, it's Jason Flatland here. You're listening to The Jason Flatland Show, where I'll be sharing everything from sales and webinar tips to improving productivity and reaching your infinite potential. Jason Flatland here. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the misunderstandings that I see a lot of people have about savings. And it's really tragic because a lot of people then don't save. That can be a problem. So let's break it down. There are three things that I've noticed out there and I've studied this. I've seen it on Reddit. I've seen it on other YouTube videos in the comments when people are teaching savings and the general pushback from people that are having a hard time accepting this concept of savings. Here are the three misconceptions that I think keep people poor. Number one, they believe savings equals suffering. Number two, they believe I don't have enough to save. And number three, well, savings can't make me rich. So why do it? Or they say, I don't need to save. I need to invest. Fair enough. Let's break down all three of these. The first one, savings equals suffering. We have this beautiful, wonderful, but at the same time, massive limitation in our thinking and it's called dichotomous thinking. If you've watched me at all in any of these videos, then you should be subscribing so you can make sure you watch every damn video. You'll notice I talk about this theme a lot, that it, the world is often viewed in black and white terms. You're either rich or you're poor. You're either smart or you're dumb. You're either ugly or you're beautiful. You're either successful or you're a failure. You're either an optimist or you're a pessimist. And if you're a pessimist, you're completely optimistic in your evaluation of your pessimism. You can see how these dichotomous thoughts don't work. But people see savings as, if I save, I have to live like a monk and I have to suffer and I have to penny pinch and I have to deprive the best years of my life in my 20s and 30s, the prime of my life where I can enjoy the most vitality of life. So when I'm 60, 70 or 80, when I don't have as much energy, then I have more money. How does that even make sense? That's the black and white thinking that I see that is so pervasive when it comes to savings equal suffering. There's an exercise that I like to do. I call it spectrum thinking. And in any situation, I want to have seven possible outcomes mapped and we'll put it on a bell curve. And so you would see this thing as the least likely probability on the negative side and then the least likely probability on the positive side. So in this particular case, since we're savings equal suffering, is you save up your whole life, and then the moment you go to cash it in, you're struck by lightning and you die. That's like the worst possible outcome that is unlikely to happen in any scenario, but you know, there's a one in a million chance. Or the best possible scenario is you do a little bit of savings and then somehow miraculously, uh, something comes along that your savings just starts to multiply with very little effort on your part. Some guy walking down the street one day says, I challenge anybody here to have a thousand dollars in their bank account. If you do, I'm going to pay you a million dollars. You over there, do you have it? Show me on your phone. And you show him and he says, congratulations. I like the cut of your gym. Here's a million dollars, right? That is possible, but it's so unlikely that it's preposterous to even think of. So we put those on the far end of the bell curve. And then we start to say, what is very unlikely on the negative side? that is kind of there. And let's put that on the chart too. So the unlikely thing is that savings is painful, like 100% painful. In fact, there's a lot of value in saving certain things to be used later. And so you say, okay, savings can be hard in some instances, but it doesn't have to be the equivalent of having a migraine. Savings means I'm shifting the suffering from today as opposed to an undefined amount tomorrow or in the future. So we would start to map these out. We'd say the most probable situation is whether I save or not in the next 30, 60, 90 days, whether I save or don't save, very little, if anything, is going to change about my day-to-day -day life. 
if I'm miserable and I'm not saving something will still mean I'm just about as miserable as ever. It's kind of like what the Buddha said. They said, now that you found enlightenment, how do you feel? This is as miserable as ever, right? This is a gradual process that matures over a period of time. And so that's kind of comforting for me. I don't know about for you, but it's like, oh, if I have to save, it doesn't really matter in the short term. I'm still going to be miserable. Okay. Well, if I have to choose between two miseries, I'm going to choose the one that will set me up more likely to be successful tomorrow as opposed to the one that will likely perpetuate my misery tomorrow. So you just got to realize that it's not a black or white thing. If there's a certain amount of savings that is unconscionable to you right now, then save less than that. The act of saving, even if it's just a penny at the beginning, is a valuable exercise in and of itself, regardless of quantity, which brings me into number two here. I don't have enough to start. So real talk here. The amount matters less than the act at first. So save anything or just save it slightly longer than you save it right now. So if you get that paycheck and you want to spend it right away and you normally spend it the day you get it, spend it a day after you get it. Disrupt the impulse ever so slightly. Put a pause in between it, right? So spend 99% of it instead of 100% of it. Save the other 1% and then spend the 99% over a period of say, you know, 96 hours as opposed to 72 hours. So save it a little bit longer before you spend it and then keep a tiny little fraction at the beginning to save. Now that's not the only way that you can do it. And in fact, I like to do both. And if I'm in a situation right now where the economics don't allow me to save hardly anything at all, then the number one thing that I can do to prove the situation is to figure out a way to earn more. And in this situation, the act of trying to earn more is more important than the amount that you end up earning, whether you earn more or don't earn more. Just the new way of thinking. You don't just double your income, right? If you can get a little bit more value than what you're getting right now, oh, that should be rewarded. That should be celebrated because now you're starting to exercise this creative muscle that says there is money out there. Some of it I could get. How do I go about getting that? And then how do I refine that process over time? So I can spend less time going out there and getting the money and get more money coming into me than I do right now. Probably can't do that today. But if you can do a little bit of that tomorrow and then over time improve that very quickly, you can then double your income or triple your income for that matter. But I say, let me figure out if I'm at the beginning of my journey here, how do I save just a tiny fraction of something? And when I spend the rest, how can I spend it just a little bit slower? And then also simultaneously, is there a way for me to find something that I can do to, to increase my earning capacity. Because if I increase my earning capacity, I increase my ability to have a bigger portion in which I can pull some savings from. Now, this is why it's important to still do the active savings, because I know people that make a million dollars a year and spend a million in one dollars a year. So you want to get in that habit before you have a whole bunch of money. In fact, the fact that you're having trouble saving right now is better because then once you increase your earning capacity, you already have the habit of saving some of it. That'll enhance your ability to grow in the future. So it's not where you start, it's where you finish. And in this particular instance, I'd rather you start with the savings and then increase the earning capacity. And then this leads us into our last one is, well, Jason, savings won't make me rich. Well, no, not in and of itself, probably not especially in this current economic climate. It, uh, it will not make you rich in and of itself. You have to turn the savings into investing in some sort of way, shape, or form. The good news about having some savings, though, is it allows you to invest more of your mental capacity into whatever you do because you're not losing it through the stress of lack. So most people, they spend so much time preoccupied on the anxiety of what they don't have, and all that pulls out your energy for you to be productive. 
So when you sit down to be productive, you're at 60% capacity. We want to invest that energy into the things that you could do to contribute that will make you whole and happy, that can make you financially independent as well as emotionally and spiritually independent. But if we're so preoccupied because we don't have anything over here in the savings, it, it will affect our ability to earn, okay? So in that particular instance, that is important. But also you need to learn compound interest, which is very counterintuitive to what common sense would tell you. Common sense would say that it's impossible to take a small amount of something and over time have it turn into a large amount of something with minimal effort. The math doesn't seem to work until you actually break out the pen and the paper. And Einstein called uh, compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. He understands it earns it, he who doesn't pays it. And if you have high interest credit cards, you seeing compound interest work in the other direction. Those companies understand the value of compound interest. And most of the people that get those cars don't understand the cost. It's the most expensive thing in the world is to be poor because you will pay more for your money than anybody else ever will. But at the same time, if you take something and you allow it to compound where it's reinvested and it grows and it reinvests and it grows, it's like a snowball that turns into an avalanche rolling down a hill. So take the time to school yourself a little bit with a variety of different examples and visuals on the magic of compound interest. If there wasn't math behind it, I wouldn't believe it. I'd say impossible. There's no way it works out, but it does work that way. And so, yes, you can become rich through the magic of compound interest, but it shouldn't be the only bass that you put your eggs in. What should you consider investing in with your savings? I'm going to give you some general principles of investing that I've followed that have served me very well and that I've seen serve other people well that I've helped as well. The number one investment should be in yourself and mainly in your education. Now, not the education that is forced upon you, the education that you seek out specifically for your own needs. And so you say, what are the things that if I learn them could help me? I love the quote by Jim Rohn, the book you miss won't help. So what are the things that you can do to invest in yourself? That's so important because that is compound interest. The things that I learned in my early 20s that I invested in and then I refined in my early 30s that I now use unconsciously competent in my late 30s, they've turned into millions of dollars. The second thing is you should invest in what you know. I don't know real estate. I have no real affinity towards real estate. What I've discovered is the way my mind works is really good with abstraction. I can all see it up here in my head. And this is why webinars, I love them so much because I can design them in my brain these abstract concepts and then I can make them concrete out of thin air. But a lot of the things that I play the best with are very malleable and fungible and they're exciting to me. Real estate A isn't exciting to me and B it's concrete. It's a building. I see it. Whatever reason, good or bad, that's just the way that I look at it. And so I don't get into real estate. And so there are things in which you have an advantage going in that are useful to you. And you should seek as much as possible to be in those environments. And then some of your investing should be, in my opinion, what I call mindless and safe. And so there are certain things that I invest in that I never have to think about again. I forgot I even invested in them. And the likelihood of them falling apart is almost zero. And then every so often, my financial advisor will send me a statement or we'll have to update something and determine my net worth. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's awesome that that thing exists. And I don't have to constantly be in the news cycle about it. I don't have to think about it. It just works in the background. But if nothing else, if you can put something in that can compound as a vehicle, and you can also invest in some character traits and skill sets as an individual that can compound, you will be unstoppable. But you have to save up in order 
order to do those things. And it doesn't have to be torture. It doesn't have to be suffering. It can be done in any circumstance, no matter how much you lack. And once you can adopt this mindset, it is very liberating. It will power you up like a super saiyan. You'll be surprised. Let me know your thoughts on that. If there's anything useful you'd like to add, put it in the comments, subscribe, and I'll see you in the next video. Hey, Jason Flyland here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you found this helpful at all, please leave me a review. And thanks again and stay tuned for future episodes.